My name is Danielle Hampson and you're listening to an extract from chapter four on anxiety and depression on Am I on the Spectrum? An Aspie's Guide to the Autistic Spectrum. I'm on it and so are you. The book is currently available on Amazon and also via the website amiontheSpectrum.com. The symptoms of anxiety depend on the type of anxiety disorder, but general symptoms include feelings of panic, fear and uneasiness, problems sleeping, cold or sweaty hands or feet, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, not being able to be still and calm, a dry mouth, feeling sick or queasy, numbness, difficulty concentrating, thinking constantly about the worst outcome, difficulty sleeping, becoming preoccupied with or obsessive about one subject, or perfectionism, flashbacks, self-consciousness, chronic indigestion and muscle tensions. This list is not exhaustive and sometimes other symptoms may become systematic to the individual depending on the underlying cause of the anxiety or the fear that is lying underneath. Sometimes the anxiety can manifest itself into a phobia if left to develop long enough without looking and identifying at its root cause. People with autism who need structure, regularity and routine sometimes find it harder to think themselves out of an anxious, driven mindset. For example, an autism client of mine had panic attacks around social situations involving food. She had developed an eating disorder and was extremely skinny. She refused to eat as it made her feel sick. And she was becoming depressed about the situation as she didn't understand what the root cause actually was. Anxiety had developed around any social situation that involved eating. After a couple of sessions, she discovered that she had an underlying fear about not being in control and when control was taken away from her. She'd recently had a baby and as we know, all newborn babies do not establish a routine overnight. Her anxiety had manifested itself in food. It was the one thing she could control about herself and how much she did and did not eat. My client's newborn baby had taken away the element of control from, from her orderly life and she was finding it difficult because there was little routine and the baby was in control, demanding of her time. Her anxiety had taken hold because she felt powerless about her own situation but could not see a way out or the reason why it had developed in the first place. Once she understood that she had felt out of control as a child and she was now the mother of a baby with little routine, she was able to reduce her anxiety levels by taking control of her life back and gaining some sort of order. Anxiety can be understood as growing out of a process or cycle. First, there is something feared, which results in the distress. 
Avoidance temporarily brings down the feelings of distress and thus feels good. This is this good feeling is rewarding and results in more avoidance. The next time fear is experienced, there is a strong desire for avoidance. Thus fear grows and avoidance is a natural pathway. People with anxiety and autism can learn to slowly become exposed to what they fear, just like those with generalised anxiety disorder or panic disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder. They need a large dose of cognitive behavioural therapy from an understanding therapist. People with autism also typically utilise black and white thinking, meaning that they have trouble accepting exceptions to rules or beliefs or difficulty integrating new information that is outside of their own viewpoint and perspective. Emotional regulation is a third cause of anxiety in individuals with autism. When individuals with autism react to a situation, it is often with extreme emotions. When they feel anxiety, individuals with autism really experience that emotion and it's often severe. They also often have more trouble identifying triggers and appropriate responses to these anxiety-causing sensations. One huge trigger for people on the spectrum is change. Changing a routine or an environment can have an extreme impact on a person with autism. Some techniques for decreasing anxiety and the tantrums, anger, stress and other emotions associated with it include discussing the change and using social stories. Helping a person with autism really understand what is happening can help them prepare for change. Social stories include pictures and often audio that will help explain a scenario and they give them that black and white depiction of an event that people with autism can understand more easily. The more you introduce a possible reward to a person with autism, the more likely they are to accept, understand and response and respond appropriately. Plenty of positive reinforcement should also be given. But does everyone have anxiety? And does that mean everyone has autism or is on the spectrum? Yes, we believe that because now nowadays we're more able to recognise what the symptoms of, of anxiety actually are, everyone gets worried or anxious from time to time. When speaking in public, for example, or when going through financial difficulty. So for some people, however, anxiety becomes so frequent or so forceful that it begins to take over their lives. Worry is problematic when it creates chronically anxious thoughts, a depressed attitude or feelings of being immobilised. So how can you tell if your everyday worry and anxiety has crossed the line? It's not easy. Anxiety disorders come in many forms, such as anxiety attacks, phobias and social anxiety. And the distinction between an official diagnosis and a normal anxiety isn't always clear. 
So if you experience any of the symptoms on a regular basis, you may want to talk to your doctor or seek help from a therapist. Depression has been around since biblical times. Through the Bible, doesn't use the words depression except in a few translations and verses. It's often referenced by other similar words such as downcast, broken-hearted, troubled, miserable, despairing and mourning amongst others. Throughout the Bible there are no there are a number of stories about godly influential men and women of faith who struggled and battled through the dark times of hopelessness and depression. David was troubled and battled. Deep despair. He writes of his anguish, loneliness, fear of the enemy, his heart cry over sin and the guilt he struggled with because of it. We also see his huge grief in the loss of his sons in Samuel. In other places, David's honesty with his own weakness gives hope to us who struggle today. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. The great prophet Elijah was discouraged, weary and afraid after great spiritual victories over the prophets of Baal. This mighty man of God feared and ran for his life far away from the threats of Jezebel. And there in the desert he sat down and prayed, defeated and worn. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Jonah was angry and wanted to run away after God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to the people. He fled as far away as he could and after a storm at sea and being swallowed by a giant fish and then being saved and given a second chance, he obeyed. He preached God's message to the people of Nineveh. God's mercy reached out to all the people who turned to him. But instead of rejoicing, Jonah got mad. No, O Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. And even after God reached out to Jonah again with great compassion, he responded, I am angry enough to die. Moses was grieved over the sin of his people in his feelings of anger and betrayal from his own people. Moses, as a leader, was about ready to quit. He came down from his mountainous top and experienced with God, commandments in hand, only to find the Israelites in complete chaos and sin. His heart cry to God on their behalf was desperate. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So there is evidence that autism dates as far back as biblical times but did not have an identifying name for those hopeless feelings of despair. Do the Catholics go to confession to unburden themselves and to release the build-up of anxiety that once unburdened releases new thought and fresh ideas into a troubled mind through the outpouring of the soul? It seems that depression has always been a health problem for human beings. Historical documents written by healers, philosophers and writers throughout the ages point to the long-standing existence of depression as a health problem. 
They also describe the continuous and sometimes very clever struggles people have or may find effective ways to treat this condition. Depression was initially called melancholia. The earliest accounts of melancholia appeared in ancient Mesopotamian texts in the second millennium BC. At this time, all mental illnesses were thought to be caused when someone was taken over by demons, as in possession. They were then treated by priests, a separate class of physicians treated physical injuries, but not conditions like depression. The first historical understanding of depression was that depression was a spiritual or mental illness rather than a physical one. Ancient Greeks and Romans were divided in their thinking about the causes of melancholia. Literature of the time was filled with references to mental illness caused by spirits or demons. In the 400 before Christ, the Greek historian Herodias wrote about a king who was driven mad by evil spirits. The early Babylonian, Chinese and Egyptian civilizations also viewed mental illness as a form of demonic possession. They used exorcism techniques such as beatings, restraint and starvation. These treatments were designed to drive demons out of an afflicted person's body. In contrast, early Roman and Greek doctors thought depression was both biological and, and a psychological disease. Gymnastics, massage, special diets and baths, as well as a mixture of poppy extracts and donkey milk were also used to treat depressive symptoms. Hippocrates, a Greek physician, suggested that personality traits and mental illness were related to balanced or imbalanced body fluids called humours. There were four of these humours, yellow, bile, black bile, phlegm and blood. Hippocrates classified mental illness into categories that included mania, melancholia, depression and phrenitis, brain fever. Hippocrates thought the melancholia was caused by too much black bile in the spleen. He used bloodletting, a therapeutic technique which removed blood from the body, bathing, exercise and dieting to treat depression. In contrast to Hippocrates' view, the famous Roman philosopher and statesman Cicero argued that melancholia was caused by violent rage, fear and grief. This was a mental explanation for depression rather than a physical one. In the last years before Christ, the influence of Hippocrates faded and the predominant view amongst educated Romans was that mental illness, like depression, was caused by demons and by the anger of gods. During the late 1700s and early 1800s, there was a variety of complex explanations for depression. Some doctors and authors suggested that aggression was the real cause of depression. They suggested exercise, music, drugs and diet as treatment. They also stressed the importance of discussing problems with a close friend or doctor. 
Others thought that depression was caused by an internal conflict between unacceptable impulses and a person's conscience. Advances in general medical knowledge caused other scientists to believe in and search for organic physical causes of depression. In the beginning of the 1800s, new therapies for depression were developed. These included water immersion, which involved keeping people underwater for as long as possible without drowning them. It also included a special spinning stool to cause dizziness in order to rearrange the contents of the brain into the correct position. Benjamin Franklin introduced an early form of electroshock therapy. Horseback riding, special diets and enemas, purging and vomiting were also recommended treatments. Depression was first distinguished from schizophrenia in 1895 by the German psychiatrist Emil Krapelin. However, influenced by hundreds of years of the back and forth debate as to whether depression was best thought of as a mental or a physical problem, and by increasing knowledge of the brain and brain chemistry, the medical community of the 1950s and 60s accepted a classification that divided depression into subtypes based on supposed causes of the disorder. Endogenous depression came from within the body and was caused by genetics or some other physical problem. People with this type of depression were supposed to view themselves as the source of their own suffering and accept that there was an internal cause, perhaps a chemical one. Their emotional pain was thought to be unaffected by attitudes or responses of the people around them. In contrast, neurotic or reactive depression was caused by some significant change in the environment, such as the death of a spouse or other significant loss, such as the loss of a job. Individuals with reactive depressions were thought to feel isolated, victimised and abandoned. They were told to view the cause of their problems as something external to themselves. People with reactive depression were thought to develop bodily symptoms and to make suicide attempts as a mean of getting support from the people around them. You've been listening to an extract from chapter four on anxiety and depression from the book Am I on the Spectrum? An Aspie's Guide to the Autistic Spectrum. I'm on it and so are you. It's available on Amazon. Or you can have a look at the website www.amionthespectrum.com.